This episode is brought to you by the Virtual Excellence Academy. I interviewed the founder, Hannah Dixon, back on episode 237. And in addition to just being one of my all-time favorite humans, Hannah has helped 30,000 people leave their nine-to-five job and become fully remote freelancers so they have the ability to travel the world. And now Hannah is offering a free training on how you too can start and grow your freelance business based on the skills and knowledge you already have. It's virtual so you can attend from anywhere and it runs from June 24th to the 28th. You can register for free at themaverickshow.com slash virtual. Now, you're going to want to sign up early because you'll get immediate access to a supportive community and be able to pair up with an accountability buddy ahead of time to make the most of the training. So register now at themaverickshow.com slash virtual. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. All it was was a website with email sign-up box and a couple lines of text. It said, who wants to travel together for a year while working remotely? And there's almost no more information. <laughs> and the first day, over a thousand people signed up. Totally wild, totally unexpected. I mean, just like literally insane. And then more people started talking about it and more people started putting in their email addresses and then more press started reaching out. And over the next couple of months, as this just kind of snowballed, over 50,000 people had signed up all over the world. and world travelers and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed and now here's your host matt bowles hey everybody it's matt bowles welcome to the maverick show my guest today is greg kaplan he is the co-founder and ceo of remote year the world's largest international work travel program after building his first company and having it acquired by Groupon, Greg then founded Remote Year in 2015, which went on to raise $12 million in their Series A round and now has over 110 employees around the world. Remote Year enables location-independent professionals to live and work in different cities around the world as part of an immersive cultural and community experience. Participants get to work and live like a local for four, six, or 12 months in some of the world's most vibrant cities with a group of other professionals from different backgrounds and industries. For a monthly fee, Remote Year plans all the logistics, including flights, accommodations, workspace access with 24-7 Wi-Fi, as well as connecting participants with locals and planning activities on the ground in each city. Remote Year has now had over 25 100 participants at the time of this recording. Greg, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. So excited to be here. My man, this interview has been in the works for a while. You and I last hung out in person. I feel like it was Austin, Texas. We were both speaking at the South by Southwest conference, and uh, we hung out at the speaker dinner there back in uh, March of 2019. Yes, sir. That was so much fun. What a great evening. 
That was awesome, man. Unfortunately, we're not in the same place uh, today to do this interview because I was really hoping you and I could have a, a bottle of wine in person. But you were gracious enough to jump on uh, from a different continent. I am actually today in St. Petersburg, Russia. And you are where today? I'm in Mexico City, Mexico. And I think this is perfectly fitting for us to do this remotely. That's actually true. That's actually a good point. This is a very fitting interview to do uh, remotely. So let's jump into it, man. I am excited to introduce you. And I'd love to start with your background in terms of... I know, by the way, I don't know if you know this about us, that we have this in common, but we were both born in the Chicagoland area. I was born in Arlington Heights. Very cool. And I was moved when I was very young. So I, I can't claim a whole lot of Chicago heritage, but I do have that as my birthplace. But I know you were born and raised there for most of your life. But I'd love to hear your story about how growing up in the Chicago suburbs, you became so passionate about travel and interested in other cultures. How did that come about? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the description of my childhood. I grew up in a nice little suburban cul-de-sac in a suburb just north of Chicago. And you could probably picture what that suburban cul-de-sac looked like. It was very safe, very nice, very quiet. But what was unique about my upbringing is that when I was five years old, my parents met this guy named Selwyn Butler. And Selwyn was a great guy. He was in his early 20s and he was from New Zealand and in the States needed to find a place to stay for a couple of weeks. So when my parents met him, they invited him to come and stay at our house. And we had such a good time, really hit it off, so much fun with him staying with us that he ended up staying for over five years, which was such an unbelievable experience. Um, basically, you know, I have two brothers. It was like a third brother for that time. Still talk to him fairly regularly. And, you know, we had such a good experience inviting Selwyn into our house, becoming sort of a part of our family. That next, we had a whole bunch of people from all over the world living with us for various periods of time. We had Evan from South Africa, and then we had Ben and Daniel, two brothers from Australia for a while, four or five years, Menji and Luce from their dads from North Africa, and then Aaron and Avery from Russia. And, you know, we just had this sort of hodgepodge of people living with us for extended periods of time throughout my childhood, which was awesome. Kind of ended up looking like, you know, 14, 15 people around the dinner table every night, which was sort of a mini model UN of, of craziness. But, uh, you know, that really, for me, you know, opened my eyes to, I think, you know, people say global perspectives, but to me, really just how similar people are all over the world. People, I believe, are fundamentally the same at their core. You know, everybody loves pizza. Everyone cares about being safe and their family and their friends. And, you know, there are differences culturally, but at the core, I think people across the world are more similar than they are different. That was a big learning for me throughout that experience. And the other thing, growing up in an environment with tons of people at all the time, it was loud, it was crazy, it was fun, it was also challenging at times, you know, six, seven, eight boys sharing a, a bathroom. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it really, you know, left a mark on me around community. You know, I, I love just being around big groups of people. And whenever I do anything, I start with who am I going to do this with, not what am I going to do? Because that's where I really learned to thrive as you know, young as five, 10 years old. That is amazing. Wow. And then as you grew older and then you started to travel and then you started to travel internationally at this point in your life with all of the travel that you've done, let me just start off with a really broad and general question. Why do you, Greg, travel? 
what do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you at this point in your life? Yeah, you know, travel is an interesting thing. I think when I was growing up, we definitely traveled a little bit, but you know, I didn't have the opportunity to spend extended amounts of time, you know, outside the country, you know, in any real way. I think when I really sort of caught the itch to see what that was like is probably my junior year of college when all my other friends got to go and study abroad and live abroad for a while. And, you know, I went to the business school at University of Michigan and they unfortunately didn't allow for us for whatever reason to, to study abroad. But I went and visited a few of my friends abroad in Asia and in Australia. And then another trip I took to visit some other friends in across Europe. And I was just so amazed with this life that they were living, which was interesting and different and culturally exciting, trying new foods and meeting new people and having this amazing life-changing experience. Ever since I got to see this lifestyle that my friends created for themselves while they were just juniors in college, I sort of had this gnawing ambition to someday do that myself. And to be frank, I never really had that opportunity. So, you know, after I graduated from school, I moved back to Chicago, which is where I grew up again, and, you know, worked there for the next couple of years. But, you know, during that entire time, I, you know, maintained this fantasy of having that kind of rich, exciting experience of meeting people with different backgrounds and tasting the foods of, you know, different cultures that are more, you know, local and authentic and maybe a little bit more natural and connected, you know, understanding the different perspectives of these different people and how they understand the world and understand what's going on was just such a romantic idea that I had really kept dreaming about, I guess, for, you know, the next few years. And then how did the initial concept of remote year come about? Yeah. So, you know, as I said, I graduated from Michigan and I was actually going to come to Chicago to do consulting. I, I was recruited to Bain and I had this amazing opportunity to take 10 months. And I was, I was starting this, this company and I met this guy in Chicago, Brad Keywell. He said, you know, I don't know if this idea is going to work, but you shouldn't go into consulting, come and work for me. So I moved to Chicago quickly after graduating and worked in venture capital at his firm with uh, his partner, Eric Lefkowski, called LightBank. And we were investing in all kinds of things. They actually had just started Groupon before that, which had grown to a crazy success. And I was working with them on all kinds of different ideas. And then, you know, sort of took one idea that um, I was working on with a friend, coworker, Brian Fitcho, called Obaz, which was short for Online Bazaar, which was a set of e-commerce tools um, hoping to, to make it easier for people to sell online, especially through social channels. We grew that for a couple of years and eventually uh, we actually sold that to Groupon. And I spent a year working at Groupon and it was a great place. I, I had a lot of fun, but you know, I had always had this dream, this, this idea of you know, getting out of Chicago, seeing what it felt like to live somewhere else, to really get deep and not just be a, a tourist, but to, to kind of feel like a local. And this dream kept gnawing away at me. And, you know, in Chicago, I'd grown up there. I'd been there for a long time, you know, was commuting every single day into the same office. And, you know, it was just a sea full of desks, full of people, you know, that were just a lot of them putting in the time nine to five. 
And I just wanted to get out of there. I wanted to go see the world and go and experience more than it had to offer. So what I did one day was I decided I wanted to find a job that could support me to do this so I could do it for a long period of time. And, you know, a question that, you know, I get frequently is, you know, how do you find a remote job that'll support this? And, you know, this was my experience, which is, you know, all that I have at this point is, you know, I didn't know that remote jobs were even a thing at this point. This was 2014. Um, and I didn't know that it sort of like existed. I guess the industry was just kind of starting. So what I did was I went out to my network and I started talking to people about, you know, doing some freelance work for them. Um, and being able to do that, obviously, digitally, because a lot of freelance work is done digitally. And I talked to a couple friends that I had. And the most important day was, you know, one day I went through the process. I was talking to one of my friends who started a company. And they needed some help with some strategy and some marketing. And I said, I could help you with that. What I would need to do is it would have to be remote. And uh, here's the amount of money that I would need. And we talked through it for a few weeks. And one day he said, let's do it. I'm in. Let's make this all happen. I, I'm so excited to work together. So that day, I was so excited that I finally figured this out. I was ready to quit Groupon and, and go and take this contract and go start traveling the world while I you know, worked with this company. But again, whenever I do anything, I start with whom I can do it with. So, so that night, I asked my group of best friends, hey, do you guys want to get work that you could also do from anywhere because I got, just got this, you know, contract. Do you want to also get work you could do from anywhere and, you know, go travel the world together? And they all kind of looked at me like I was crazy because, you know, these were consultants, these were investment bankers, these were, you know, more typical, less entrepreneurial minded folks. And, you know, they all kind of looked at me like I was crazy and said, that doesn't make any sense. We're definitely not going to quit our jobs, find some work that we can do and, and go travel like that. I, we don't know what you're talking about. So a little bit sad that I couldn't convince my group of friends to come and pick up and do this with me. The next day, while I was thinking through this, after sort of trying to understand how I was going to make this all work, I put up a very simple website. And crazily enough, I put it on the domain remoteyear.com, which was sort of what my vision of what this would look like. And all it was was a, a website with email sign-up box and a couple lines of text. It said, who wants to travel together for a year while working remotely? And there's almost no more information. <laughs> and so basically, I was going to use this to convince some you know, more adjacent friends, not my core group of friends, to come and travel with me. So I sent it to a couple other friends over Gchat or over email um, that I think we're a little bit more open to this kind of idea. And then all of a sudden, I started to get these people signing up who I'd never heard of before. So apparently, my, the friends I sent it to had sent it to some other people because it looked a little bit legit enough you know, to, to share. And then you know, more people started signing up and more people started sharing it. And the first day, over a thousand people signed up. That's unbelievable. To totally wild, totally unexpected. I mean, just like literally insane. And then, you know, more people kept talking about it. And at first, this one journalist at I think Inc. reached out to me and, and said, you know, this is really interesting that what you're building here, I'd love to write a story about it. So she wrote a story about it. And then more people started talking about it and more people started putting in their email addresses. And then more press started reaching out and there were more publications in the US and then started to get inbound 
inquiries from press abroad. And, you know, over the next couple months, as this just kind of snowballed, over 50,000 people had signed up all over the world. And, you know, at that point, it was still just a very simple website with a couple lines of text and an email sign-up box, which is wild and totally unexpected and amazing. And, you know, that's when I started saying, there's something more here. There's something more than maybe just, a, you know, my sort of sad attempt to find friends to come travel with me, that there, there, there's something that we've hit on. And that's when we decided to really sort of formalize things and make this into more of a program that can help people who seem to really want to have this kind of experience, you know, do that. And, you know, at that point, you know, it was very unclear what we were, what we were going to do, how it would work, where it would go, what it would cost, what it would include. Then nothing was set. This was just kind of a, a couple words and ideas. And so, so thankfully, you know, one of those friends that I, I, I tried to convince to come with me that original night, um, his name is Sam Pesson, and he's been my best friend for the last, you know, 10 plus years. He was my roommate in Chicago. He actually was a consultant at Bain. So he's a super operational focused, detail-oriented, amazing human being who actually had an amazingly relevant upbringing. He actually grew up as the son of a journalist, which means that he was living for a couple of years at a time all over the world in different places. So when he was born, his parents were living in China. They actually got kicked out a couple months later while he was a baby in 88 because of the uh, after the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre, they kicked all the journalists out. And one of his first claims to fame was that he actually, with his his mom, were on the cover of the Beijing Times or some Chinese newspaper as they were kicking all the journalists out. So he was on the cover of the newspaper as just a toddler or a baby. And then he lived in DC. He lived in London. He lived in Jerusalem. So he he kind of is a, a little bit better of a background for, for starting something like Remote Year. So anyway, long story short, he was my roommate at the time. I had originally invited him to come and travel with me. After he said no, put up the website for Remote Year, it got all this interest and excitement. And throughout that process, we were you know, sitting together on the couch, having whiskeys, talking about how crazy all of this was. He naturally sort of moved into more of the operating capacity. He was thinking through more of the details of where would we go? How would this work? How would we structure this? What would it include? Where would we go? Like all these different details that he started to put together. And so naturally, as this kind of evolved, it was clear that he was going to help me build this out and make this sort of dream that I had into a reality. And so we, we together over the next couple of months really refined all of the sort of high level details. You know, funny story, our, our original itinerary that we had put together was going to 18 places for between two and five weeks each. I don't know why we decided to do that, but we did. And we, we had committed to releasing our itinerary on, I think it was December 1st, 2014. And so a few hours before we were going to release our itinerary, we were looking at the itinerary and we last second made a couple changes, uh, which is wild to think about now that we would do that. But we did, and we, we changed it from 18 places to 12 places and said it'd be better to go to a couple fewer places. And we, we looked at it and we said, if we're going to go for a year, we might as well go to each place for one month. And so that was you know one of the decisions that you know ultimately looking back was an 
unbelievable decision. Thank God we made that decision because, you know, going to each place for a variable amounts of time would have been a total nightmare to, to plan logistically and, and do. But, you know, I think that speaks to the idea that we were just making decisions on the fly because this was a brand new idea, a brand new way of working and living that we were trying to create some structure behind to help that be a possibility for more people. And so over the next few months, we continued to refine exactly how it would work. We eventually then said, okay, now we have 50,000 people who've signed up. How do we decide who's going to come and who we're going to invite to join us? So we, we spent a long time really thinking about how we would decide who would be a good fit for our community. So we next launched a series of essays that we requested people fill out why they would be a good fit for our community and why the community would be a good fit for them. We read through all those essays and then got on the phone with over 600 people to meet them, to talk to them, to understand what their background was, how they'd be a good fit in our community, and if this would be you know, a good fit for them. As we sort of went through that group and kept refining more of how this concept would work, we started offering people a place to join our inaugural group. And eventually on June 1st, 2015, we all hopped on a plane, us included, and our initial group of people. And the first remote year began in Prague, which is unbelievable thing that people trusted us um, to get on a plane and <laughs> show up. And all they had ever seen was that simple website on online and had a 30 or a, a 60 minute video chat at that time over Skype because Zoom didn't exist with two sweaty guys in black t-shirts in their living room in Chicago. <laughs> totally wild. Well, my good friend, Trevor Gerhardt, who was part of that inaugural group, the OGs, and I think he was literally the first single person to get off the plane in Prague, tells the story of how he, exactly what you just said. He's like, uh, I signed up on some website and gave somebody $5,000 and bought a ticket to Prague. I sure <laughs> hope somebody else is going to show up here and it just gets scammed. Um, but uh, but obviously, uh, I think it was you personally that was waiting there at the airport for him with the remote your banner and, and all of that stuff. But could you take us back to that time when that materialized and it became real, the excitement there, but also the business challenges and trying to fulfill on such a huge offering, which I can only imagine how insanely cumbersome that must have been the first time. And then maybe take us from that first, you know, what was the difference between the first remote year group and today. Now I was on Libertatum, which was group number seven. So we went, we, I did the 12 month remote year program of a little over a year after you launched the first one, uh, mine started. So there was obviously some progress between one and seven, but between seven and today, there's just been an enormous amount of you know quality control and infrastructure building and all that kind of stuff. So I'd love to get your perspective on how the first ever group went and then what the lessons were from that and how you evolved the company till today. Sure. So I'll take you back one, one step before that. So like I said, when early days, Sam and I started building together what this would look like, it became clear as we were talking to folks um, and starting to plan out the first remote year that the two of us would not be able to do this alone. And we brought on our initial group of our, our team, our initial team of six people. And there were four other folks. There were Will and Trish who were vaguely brought on to help with what we called operations. 
We had Hannah, who is our community manager for the first program. Now we call program leader. Um, and we also brought on Jesse Gross to help with all kinds of things. And in particular, thinking about some of the future of work stuff and how we work with companies, because that's been a, a focus since the beginning. Great. So just to give people context, like how old your whole team was at this time, <laughs> like the age range of you guys, just so people get a context. Yeah, we we were definitely a green bunch. Uh, Sam and I were both 25 when we began. And then Jesse, Trish, Will, and Hannah were all you know within two or three years of that. So it was... Everybody in their early to late twenties trying to to figure out how to how to make this all work. <laughs> exactly. All right, go ahead. I just wanted that totally. Um, so we we brought that team together, and you know, ironically, we were uh, working remotely because these these were all folks who you know were just saying this is exciting, this is interesting. I just want to help out however I can. They were helping out with you know all kinds of random things before we kind of brought them on to the team. Will actually was still working for Accenture the first few months of remote year as he was also part of our team, which was a wild experience for him. He was working his butt off um, at that point with a, a job at Accenture and and being part of the team building and on remote year. And so we all converged um, in Prague about a month early before the, the first program began. And ironically, we were a fully remote company and that that moment became a co-located company for a short period of time trying to build remote year. So we we got to Prague about a month early for what we called setup. We had built the relationships with most of our accommodations providers. We built our relationship with a co-working space called Locus, but we were, you know, coming in to check and make sure they had all the things that we needed to deliver on the promises that we made. So we created all these checklists and all these processes from just intuition to try to hopefully, you know, take these hotels and apartments and, and dorms and co-working spaces that we'd found through making connections online and, and hopefully to ensure that they, you know, met some level of standard and specifications that we were setting for ourselves to try to, you know, make an infrastructure and an experience and a program that can help people be successful working remotely while traveling the world for a year. And so after a couple weeks of um, what we called setup, then we were in the moment getting ready for people to start landing. So we were creating process. You know, we asked everybody to send us their flights of when they'd be getting in to Prague and they were getting in at various times between Saturday, Sunday, and Monday of that, that first week of the program. And so we decided what we would do is we would wait for them at the airport with Two of us, Hannah and I, waited at the airport. We made a sign that said, you know, remote year, welcome, welcome to Prague. And we were the greeting crew. And so whenever people landed, we'd track their flights, we'd meet them at the exit um, with our sign, and we'd run from, from area to area of the Prague airport greeting people. And then we'd bring them to the little sprinter bus that we had the next team waiting for to bring people from the airport batch with a couple of folks that also got in, get to know each other, meet each other, and then bring them to their accommodations. So that, that first group, like you said, Trevor was the first one to land. We had our little janky sign that we held up. We met him for the first time in person. We gave him a hug. And then we brought him over to the bus to meet a couple of other remotes that were landing shortly after him. And that was sort of the start of our first program of remote year. 
And how did the first year go? And what were some of the challenges in the first year? What were some of the lessons that you learned? And then how did you build it from 2015 till today? What was it? What's been the evolution? So that first month, we we just had such a great time. It was such a high. We were all so excited about, you know, this group of people were amazing. Uh, we were ha- doing all these fun activities and events. We were pioneering this new future of living and working. And it was just so much fun and exciting. Prague in June, as I'm sure you know, is beautiful. Um, we were, you know, having the best time. And then, you know, we, we were transitioning from Prague, which was the first month, to Ljubljana. And Ljubljana is a beautiful city. And our, our advanced team went there and the accommodations that we found were a student housing facility, you know, right, right in this sort of downtown area of Ljubljana. But, you know, it's sort of a, a Soviet feeling sort of student housing facility. And so we transitioned from Prague to Ljubljana and it was a, a bus ride. It was about an eight hour bus ride that took us from Prague to Ljubljana. And we left in the morning. We were a little bit late getting out. The bus ride took a little bit longer. People were tired from a long day of travel. We got there at night and everyone kind of got off the bus and it was dark out and and the building looked kind of dreary. And, you know, everyone sort of got in there and looked around and it was kind of dank looking, especially at night. And you could feel the mood of the group sort of start to deflate. And, you know, people sort of all together sort of, you know, recognize, you know, this is going to be a year. We, we committed to a year. It's a long time. These guys, you know, the last place I stayed might have been nice, but this place looks like it's not so great. Like, what did I get myself into? Am I really okay with this? And so, you know, that, that first year, as we evolved into that, that month in Ljubljana, which was July, a, a record-setting heat wave in, in a student housing place that was not so nice and didn't have HVAC or air conditioning, so people were hot and they were uncomfortable. And the, you know, there was lots of little things that definitely made it difficult to be successful working remotely and having good time. Uh, even though the city was beautiful, there were some challenges with the, the workspace. There's a lot of challenges with the, the housing. And you know, we, the sentiment of the community started to really move towards a more negative feeling um, that month. And that was sort of the the beginning of you know a much more skeptical, a much more difficult process that happened throughout that the rest of the next few months with that group. You know, they they were excited about you know living and working, but you know starting to get increasingly frustrated with the fact that you know we didn't know the right way to plan perfectly in all these places. We were in some accommodations that were hit or miss. We were in some workspaces that had some problems. We we had all kinds of things that, you know, frankly, a group of six Americans running around the world trying to set up and hospitality experiences that were catered to folks being successful working remotely didn't always go that well, um, to be honest. And, you know, throughout that year, that group was an amazing group of people. Most of them stuck with us throughout the the entire journey and just through sheer will and faith, they, you know, stuck with us. And the crazy thing is, you know, 
although that was challenging um, and difficult throughout many, many periods of time, um, that was just an amazing group of people. They are so connected to each other. So many of them I have you know, such a great relationship with still today. Um, you know, we, we, we learned a lot. Taking that forward, you know, that year was really, can we make this happen? Is this even possible? And then the theme of the year after that was, how do we really build this into something that is a little bit more institutionalized, a little bit more structured, and, you know, a little bit more reliable? Like, what is, you know, the right way to do all these things? So we had, we had our core offering, right? We are offering housing, we're offering workspace, we're offering events and activities, we're offering community, and we're offering travel. And I think the next year, we really then had the, the opportunity to bring on a, a much larger team to, to, to really build out, what does that mean? How do we offer and build housing that can help people be successful working remotely, to have a great local immersive experience authentically, but also consistently? How do we do that with travel and workspace and events and activities? And so that, that, that next year, as we had more communities join our programs, it was really about how do we take this sort of really wild, bleeding edge, complex experience and, and make it something that um, is a little bit more streamlined and consistent and high quality for, for people throughout their experience. And how did you guys end up doing that? So today, when someone joins Remote Year, what does the experience look like versus the first one with the OGs to today? When people join Remote Year for a upcoming trip, what does the quality control, the economy of scale, the infrastructure, what does the experience look like today? What have you guys been able to do with those lessons you learned? Sure. So, I mean, that starts even at the beginning of the journey. And our program placement team, we, we call them program consultants because that's really what they are. So when people come to us and want to come on our, on our program, the first most important thing is we spend a lot of time with people making sure that our program is a good fit for them and they're a good fit for joining one of our programs. Um, and that's everything from their professional situation, their work situation, and also their motivations. Why do they want to come on the program? What are they hoping to get out of it? And then beyond understanding what is a good fit for our programs based on you know a couple of years and thousands of people, the next thing we do is we help people actually then take the next step. So before, you know, everyone had to figure out their own professional situation on their own. And from day one, there's been a whole lot of people who said, well, I'd like for you guys to help me figure that out. So over the last year and a half, we've actually built an entire team, which we call the employer solutions team. And their whole job is to help people that want to come in our programs and work full-time for a company, go through the process of getting permission together hand in hand to get permission from their employer. So we have built out best practices from all the thousands of people who've done this and bring them to bear and help people really navigate that process successfully. And we have a really high success rate with people who actually want to go through that process and get that permission and able to actually do it through the processes that we built out. And that's been a really exciting evolution for us as an organization to help more people make this a reality. Awesome. Yep. So then the next part of their journey when someone wants to come on our program um, is onboarding. So they've decided to come on the program. Then all these questions rise. And from day one, there's been a lot of consistency in these questions, right? You know, what do I do with 
my apartment? How do I think about packing? What immunizations do I need? What visas do I need? How do I think about healthcare on the road? How do I think about insurance? How do I think about all these different things? And again, we've had thousands of people come on our programs and we actually have a full-time team as well on what we call the onboarding team to help people go through all the different processes to get themselves ready to go and embark on this journey, which is a very complex thing to do. And you know, our initial group of people all had to kind of figure it out themselves, but we've centralized a lot of those learnings and processes into a whole big set of resources and an entire team to help people actually then go from deciding to come on our program and making that as seamless as possible to, to actually begin the program. So that's the second thing that we do. And a big part of that, in addition to all the logistics, is meeting your community. So we actually have a bunch of different ways digitally that we bring the community of people together to start getting to know each other and planning and having fun and building relationships before they actually set foot on the ground on the first day of their program. Because at the core of everything that we do at Remote Year, ever since the start of the, of the first day, the core of Remote Year has been community, has been people having this experience together. And that's what's really unique about traveling with Remote Year versus doing it on your own, is that you're joining this community, which is so hard to communicate the value of, but is, is for me, so foundational to what makes this exciting and fun and also comfortable and safe and a little bit more familiar. Yeah, that was the primary motive for me from day one, as soon as I saw what you're offering, because I had already been a full-time digital nomad with no permanent base for two and a half years prior to doing remote year. And as I was traveling around the world, and I was in a relationship at the time for those two and a half years, and I was traveling around with my partner, and then she and I ended up breaking up. And I was like, well, I really love to keep traveling because I love this lifestyle but I urgently need to reinsert myself into a community. Like I need people around me. I was really feeling a massive social void and I had heard about Remote Year. So I immediately went to the website and I was like, this is it. Like this is the solution for me. This is exactly what I need right now. I can keep traveling and I can do it with a community of you know 50 plus people that are going to travel with me for the entire year and be together with me. That's exactly what I need. And that's literally, I mean, by far, you know, logistics are nice and you handle this for me and all that stuff is nice, but it's totally secondary for me. The community was the whole game. 100%. And you know, my experience was the same. I was getting ready to go travel and I was really yearning for community and it just didn't exist out there. There wasn't a way for me to do that. And that sort of personal need is why I put up that somewhat sad website that has become remote year. Um, so that I, I think is, is the core. And I think that community, number one, makes travel more palatable, more comfortable in a lot of ways. And then also the relationships that I have built and that most people in this community have built through that shared experience is just so different than any kind of relationship that can be built, I think, at any other point in people's post-childhood career. Like, you know, after school, there's almost no opportunity for people to have these kinds of experiences and build these kinds of relationships, which I think is one of the most special things about Remote Year. 100%. And, you know, these are the types of conversations that I have with people. You know, and I say to people that, you know, that live in a particular city, 
you know, I say think about you know, your top three, you know, closest friends that you have in your city, not including people that work in your office, right? Your top three friends. How often do you actually see them physically in person, right? And maybe you take your your number one friend out of that equation. How often do you see friends number two and three? And most people are like, oh, you know, like once every three weeks or once a month, maybe we get a coffee, we get a dinner, we catch up, we, you know, this kind of thing. I was like, right, exactly. So you see your, you know, your closest like two or three friends, you know, once every two to four weeks. So you see them maybe 12 to 24 times in a year. On remote year, you see these people every single day for 365 consecutive days. Like the depth of the relationships and of the connection is just absolutely incredible. And with our group, you know, everybody that finished that program through 12 months, that's family for life. I mean, we still have two years after the program finished a group chat where we message each other literally every day. I mean, people are messaging every day in our group chat. I mean, it's it's family for life. And we continue to connect up around the world and, and, and you know, see each other and organize trips together and all that kind of stuff. And it's just absolutely magical, you know, truly, truly special experience because of the depth of that, right? I mean, it's just, it's so unique to be able to do that, you know, as an adult, to be able to have that, you know, that kind of community building opportunity. It's just truly incredible. I, I agree with that 100%. And that is that is the key of Remote Year. It's hard to communicate that to people who haven't experienced it. And we've been trying to figure out ways to do that. But to be honest, it's just such a complex, special, unique thing that it's 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 unbelievable. And the thing is, it's not just that you're seeing people with a high level of frequency, but you are experiencing extraordinary things together. Exactly. Right? So you're seeing the world and you're having life-changing experiences. So you're, you know, conquering fear barriers. You're having totally new and exciting and exhilarating experiences. You're going through hard times in life and being there for each other. You know, it's this entire, you know, roller coaster of life, of course, regular life, plus all this amazing, extraordinary, you know, things that you're doing and experiencing together. And that connects you you know, and creates such a meaningful community bond. It is truly an amazing experience. Best year of my life, I tell people, was the year that I did remote year, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. One of my big regrets in life is that starting remote year meant I could never truly be a remote and be on one of the programs because I could always have this staff hat on. <laughs> I would love nothing more than the opportunity to actually be a real full member of one of these I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode.
communities because it's just such a magical thing. And I've only been able to observe it from yeah. the sidelines, which is such a shame. Yeah. Let's go a little bit deeper, Greg, into Remote Year as you've built out the company and sort of thought deeper about what you really wanted the the company and the experience and the community to be about. I just want to start off by reading from your website, your mission statement and your values, and then give you an opportunity to kind of talk about those. It says, our mission is to create a more peaceful and productive world by fostering genuine human connections across diverse cultures and people. And then your values are work-life flexibility, global perspective, empathy, community, being present, and dreaming. Do you want to share anything about those? Yeah, I I think our our mission has always been something that's super core to what we believe in um, and why we're doing what we're doing. From the early days, it always felt like what we were doing was good. And it took us a little bit of time to formalize why we thought what we were doing was good. And at the root of it, kept coming back to this idea that the unique mix of remote work and travel has this empowering opportunity, right? It empowers people who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to have this experience, otherwise to have this experience. And what that means is it makes this kind of global living, global travel accessible to a much larger group of people. And that is, I think, the core of what we're about. And the question has always been, why is that good, giving people this accessibility to have this opportunity? And if you think all the way back to the beginning of humanity, right? Humans have started as a uniquely social being, right? Humans were not, they didn't have the sharpest claws, they didn't have the longest teeth, they weren't the biggest animals, but they were super successful as a species because they were able to work collaboratively together in social structures. And that's the most profound thing about humanity. And so it started as small groups of hunter-gatherers, you know, a dozen or a couple dozen hunter-gatherers working together for protecting each other from threats and for helping each other find food and sustenance. So working together for safety and for productivity in a way, right? And, you know, over the course of the history of humanity, that nature of humanity has continued to evolve and expand, right? First, it was hunter-gatherers and a few dozen. Then it was, you know, you had people organizing with agriculture into communities and then of a few hundred and then city-states of a few thousand. And over time, those structures evolved, again, for people to collaborate over a much larger group of people through new social structures and, and devices that they, they built like money and laws and writing and standardized communication, that allowed these structures to get larger and larger. And what that was doing is it expanded this notion of us. And this notion of us was us versus them, right? Us was this group of 12 people and them was everybody else that could be a threat. And then us was this group of a thousand people and them was everybody else and animals and everything that could be a threat. And the notion of us then expanded again from city-states to nation-states of a few hundred thousand people and then millions of people. And then you have these things like the UN and the G7 and, and that expand the notion of us amongst even larger ideologies to include billions of people now today, right? And this notion of us throughout the course of humanity has been, has been expanding, um, Fairly linearly, there are definitely um, some reversions, and it, and it goes down as as you know people put up new uh, 
new divisions and, and borders. But I think the general arc of humanity is this constantly evolving and expanding notion of this idea of us. And what us means is people that are on my team and similar to me in a way that we can work together in order for us to be more sustainable and thrive as a community. And, and them has always been the enemy, the other. And I think as we look towards that trend, I believe eventually this notion of us is going to span the entirety of humanity. And the reason why I believe that is because as you look towards the long arc of history, that's been the direction things have evolved. And I think that the threats are no longer other humans like they used to be, but they're much more existential. They're things like global warming. They're things like mass disease and hunger and all these big problems that humanity needs to band together into a much larger notion of us than we have today in order to attack those things collaboratively together. And so if you believe that that is the larger arc of where humanity is going, then the question is, how do we get there? And I believe that the only way for humanity to work together peacefully and productively is for everybody on the planet to have these kinds of profound experiences where they understand the similarity and connectedness of all humans on the planet. And I think that's exactly what Remote Year does. Remote Year gives people this accessibility to have the opportunity to go and live across the world in a very different place to have the core insight that the people there are just like me. Can you also talk about the positive impact initiative? Maybe you can even start by thinking about this broadly in terms of, you know, what are the ethics associated with international travel in terms of being an environmentally responsible, a socially responsible traveler? And how has Remote Year integrated that into the program through the positive impact initiatives? Maybe just talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I think, you know, there definitely are some complications with travel. There's also lots of benefit. You know, travel is one of the largest industries in the world and contributes meaningfully to lots of different economies. But the challenges are, are definitely real and they are profound. You know, the environmental impact is one. The more important one that we like to think about is the community impact and how do tourists become valuable members of the communities that they travel to. And that's something we spend a lot of time on and, and positive impact and being positive community members of the communities that we're in is very, very important to us. And because of that, we don't do sort of positive impact on a global scale. We don't believe positive impact should be done on a global scale. We do it on a local scale. And so we have teams in each of the cities who are super patriotic and excited about their communities. And they spend a lot of time in the community and understanding what the problems are through talking to people and understanding how we can be valuable members of those communities. And so in each of the communities that we are in, we're in 12 different communities right now, we have different relationships on the ground with different causes. And in some places, that is things like building houses. And we did a humongous contribution in Peru, where we, we built a bunch of houses because they were having all kinds of problems after a large flooding incident. And in some other places, 
uh, like Mexico City, there's a whole lot of stray dogs. And that's uh, a cause that our local team's passionate about. And we have people go in to a local dog shelter and spend some time with the dogs, go take them for walks, um, because there's just a humongous amount of them um, locally in Mexico City. So we, we have these, these relationships on the ground long term with causes and with organizations that we can contribute to as an organization, but also make that opportunity available to our remotes throughout each month while they're on the ground. And sometimes that looks like doing things that are you know, more manual labor, painting walls, doing construction, walking dogs. And a lot of times that's you know, getting in there and learning about these organizations and what their needs are. And it could be things like building a marketing plan, building a fundraising plan, helping them build out their website and their CRM strategy. And so we have these amazing, thoughtful, intelligent, skilled people that are going all over the world. A lot of times they actually contribute those unique skills that they have to really level up these local organizations that are combating, you know, pressing really meaningful local challenges that are happening while they're in their each city for the month that they're there. Well, one of the things that was really amazing to me in my very first month of remote year, which was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, you know, you don't really know anybody. You're just kind of meeting people still the first week. And one of the, and they offered us the very first week, this positive impact opportunity. It was like, how many people want to go and volunteer to teach in, you know, these refugee kids, right? In the school of refugees there locally in Kuala Lumpur. And literally, I think like everyone's hand went up. They're like, oh, I'll volunteer, like the whole entire group, you know? And so it was amazingly inspiring to me to see how much, people want to contribute and either through, you know, a remote year company organized, you know, connections and infrastructure or even independently. You know, I, I remember that uh, the Yugen group who I got to hang out with, you know, as an, when I was an alumni, I got to hang out with them a bit. And then when they went down to Columbia and just started doing this massive, you know, house building project, you know, probably similar to the one that you mentioned in Peru, but this one was in Colombia for, you know, homeless and disadvantaged people and stuff at the, you know, behest of the local community, obviously. And, you know, just launched this massive thing and people from all these different remote year groups just started contributing money and started, you know, supporting and it just became this huge thing. And so it's been really, really exciting to see how passionate the, you know, the number of people are that do remote year for contributing to the different areas where they go. I totally agree that you can build project was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen before. Um, and the, the community, I think, is so powerful in, in collaborating. I think that, that, that example that you brought up of all the different communities contributing to that Yugen initiative is also one of the most special things. It's crazy that there's people who've never met each other, um, but have been connected through this shared experience of remote year and have these digital platforms to connect and collaborate are able to across the world come together and make something like that project happen. Definitely speaks to the passion that you know we have across the community for giving back and for contributing, but also for you know how cool it is and how powerful it, that shared experience and that that community that that has evolved on top of it. Can you talk a little bit about the citizen program? Because I think one of the things that I'm always talking to people about when they ask me about remote year, in addition to talking about oh you know the actual 12 months and the people in your group and like this is what the experience is like the much larger, much longer term, you know, picture of things is that you are becoming part 
of a massive, you know, now 2,500 plus people, uh, you know, global nomadic ecosystem that is connected in really extraordinary ways. Can you talk a little bit about what the citizen program is, as well as sort of what the nation is and how the Slack channels are structured? Yeah, sure. So we we call our community the remote nation. And this is, I created a very intentional framing. We, we believe in ourselves sort of as a large community of people who are distributed all over the world, but we call it a remote nation because we, we are a very intentional community in that way. And when people finish their program, they become what we call a citizen in that remote nation. And that, that terminology is, is very intentional because we believe that the connectivity between these people should feel like they're part of that same nation, that same nationality. We have this unbelievable community of people that have finished our programs and are part of that nation, are citizens of that nation. And over the last few years, we've been really building out what are the opportunities for people as citizens to continue to stay connected to that community. Um, and we've spent a lot of time building out that opportunity. It started with what we called global access. And that was the opportunity to join in with any of our communities on a month-to-month basis wherever we had them available. And our, our citizens are, are, are some of the best influences in our community. They come in, they get to meet everybody, everyone gets to learn from them, they get to build these relationships. And that was just incredibly successful. Lots and lots of people were doing that. But you know, the citizens said, we want, we want more. We want our already meeting up with each other. We're already connecting with each other locally. We're already planning all kinds of positive impact and we're doing all kinds of um, different things like organizing dinners and, and having um, networking events and having uh, shared activities. And so we spent a lot of time talking to them and understanding how can we support that excitement, support that community in more interesting and profound ways. The next thing that we launched, what we call citizen houses, and that's where we bring people together for specific times in places that we don't have existing communities. And that, you know, is in sometimes beach locations, that's sometimes mountains, that's skiing, that's all, all kinds of really interesting, exciting things. But the core of that is the community of people coming together. And we've gotten great response from that. People are really excited to do more of that. And so we have a whole bunch more that we're planning around that. The next thing people wanted to do as part of this remote nation, as citizens of our remote nation, was come together in a larger format. And so uh, we actually rented an entire camp outside of New York City for everyone to come together uh, and spend a few days meeting each other, having fun, connecting, collaborating. I'm so excited to see what that looks like. That's happening in just a couple of weeks, uh, the second week of September, um, which has been Really awesome. We have a couple hundred people coming to that. Um, I'm going to that. It's going to be so much fun. And the citizens' opportunity to connect people and continue to build. We talked about this while we were together in Austin. I have a, a long-term dream of having clubhouses in cities all over the world for our nation to use to come together and build relationships and have fun and do all kinds of things that are professionally focused and adventure focused to really continue to build the community and have ways for them to connect and to meet and to stay engaged with with our nation. Well, it's amazing too 
because everyone is on Slack. And so as soon as you get into remote, your your group has a Slack channel, but then you can join all of these other Slack channels. And then when you're an alumni, you know, you have access to the entire nation and people are just creating all of these different Slack channels based on shared interests. So there's who's interested in scuba diving and there's like global scuba diving trips being planned or, you know, who's interested in entrepreneurship and who's interested in this. And, you know, all of these different things are going on. And the other thing that's amazing is how you can use that to connect with people anywhere around the world. I was just two weeks ago in Tbilisi, Georgia, had never been there, was my first time there. And I knew one person that I was meeting there, Katie Fowler from Batuta was going to meet me there. And I knew that she was going to be there. So she and I were just going to go to Tbilisi together. And I just threw a message out on the, you know, remote year citizens channel. I said, Hey, is anybody else in Tbilisi? 10 citizens, <laughs> Greg, were in Tbilisi the exact same week that I was there. We had a dinner with 10 remote year citizens in Tbilisi. And similarly, you know, last year I went to, I was going to Nairobi, Kenya, which, you know, these are not cities that remote year has ever been to, has anything to do with, is not in any way involved with. I was going to Nairobi, Kenya. And I just threw something up on the citizen channel. I said, hey, has anybody happened to be in Nairobi, Kenya in September and six people like, oh, I'll be in Nairobi. And we had a six person citizen dinner in Nairobi, you know, I mean, so the the way that the ecosystem of the whole community globally is just evolving is just incredible because now everywhere I go, there are people no matter where it is. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And that, that's, that's so cool. I can't believe that there were 10 people there. That is wild. I think, you know, that, that is so true. The, the main way that this community comes together is digitally. We use Slack for that. And, you know, it's so cool that anywhere you go that there's people in this community that are there and that are also willing to spend some time together and are going to be interesting and fun and, you know, share that experience. One thing that we do, which I actually love also, is dinners around the world. We organize across the world one night um, every few months a dinner around the world. And we have people in every city, no matter where they are, all come together um, and have dinner together. And we take pictures and we, we send them around. It's just such a fun thing to do to all sort of connect wherever we happen to be. I think there's a lot of really exciting opportunity for us to, to continue building that community and supporting it in, in interesting ways. I'd love to, to create chapters in cities that we have you know, a more density of citizens in to have more opportunities for them to stay involved, to get to know each other, to do fun things together. Um, and that's something that I'd love to, to start building out as we look towards the future. Awesome. I also want to ask you about another initiative that Remote Year has undertaken, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Initiative. And I was wondering if you could talk about that in terms of what inspired that, why that came about, and what you mean specifically by diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that looks like for Remote Year moving forward. Sure. I mean, at our core, Remote Year is all about inclusion, right? It's about having these experiences where you can understand and empathize with people from all different backgrounds and experiences. That being said, diversity, equity, and inclusion is very hard. It is challenging. And to be frank, you know, Remote Year is started by an American, me. Our team is very healthy amount of American. And we do have people from all over the world on our team. But you know, there are, you know, a big number of Americans on the team. And we've created a product offering 
that is fairly focused on Americans um, because that's the backgrounds of a lot of the folks on our essentially marketing team and our content team and things like that. And so we definitely have had less diversity across our team and our programs than we potentially could have. And that means that at times we haven't created as inclusive an environment as we possibly could. And, you know, to be honest with you, we've gotten uh, negative feedback on that at times from different people who would like a more inclusive and a more diverse community, both on our team and within our communities. And, you know, that's very hard to hear. And it takes a lot of sort of self-awareness to take in and understand and listen. And, you know, as we've been listening, we've been hearing that there definitely have been instances where we have not created an inclusive environment for everybody. Um, and it's been challenging for folks at times. And so we decided over the last few years to double down on our investment and our focus on creating an inclusive environment for people, no matter what their background or experience is. And that starts with learning and listening and understanding how we're not being as inclusive as possible. And second is we brought in experts, external experts to help us build content and curriculum and trainings for both our team and for our communities. Every new community goes through an inclusivity training at the beginning of their program. And then we have different structures to help reinforce that notion of inclusivity throughout everybody's journey. So it's, it's a focus that we've had. It's something that we're working every day to continue to evolve, but we're definitely conscious of the fact that we're not perfect. We don't think that we'll ever be perfect. And that means we have to always keep working on it and building and evolving. And can you talk a little bit about what some of the results of that have been and some of the developments that you've ultimately implemented, I guess, both in terms of, you know, internal hiring, as well as, you know, the community dynamic uh, in terms of the remote year groups, and as well as, you know, people's experiences on the ground in different cities and, and what those local city specific orientations look like. What is that now, you know, what are we, four years after the founding of Remote Year, what uh, today does the diversity, equity, and inclusion experience look like? Yeah. I mean, so a big part of that is we start every every program off with a deeper training. And we also have a touch point before people get to each city where we have a city preview and we bring them up to speed with the different things that they should understand and know about each of those cultures. And a part of that is understanding some of the DEI concerns and, and differences amongst different cultures. And, you know, we do definitely facilitate that also within our communities, as well as their relationship to the external community they're in. You know, it's hard to measure the results of DEI. I don't think that there's sort of like a, a super metric or key performance indicator that sort of shows that we've created a more inclusive culture. But, you know, Definitely, we have seen that the number of complaints has definitely diminished um, and the, the feedback qualitatively on these initiatives has been really, really positive. And we, we think that we anecdotally are moving in the right direction. But you know, I don't think there is sort of a, a milestone that, that we're going to hit where we say, all right, we, we've accomplished that. We, we now have created an inclusive environment and the work here is done. Right. It's an ongoing process for sure. Let's talk a little bit now about how you see the trends in terms of the future of remote 
work? And what are we experiencing, you know, right now at this point in history? Is this a permanent macro shift in terms of moving towards more remote work? How big do you see the market now? And how big do you see it getting for, let's say, remote years offering, for example? I love this topic. I think about the changing dynamics in the workforce all the time. And I think it's definitely a mega trend. You know, when, when people talk about the future of work, frequently they talk about technology, right? Productivity is moving to the cloud, communication is going digital, we're doing a podcast across the world over through a web browser, which is kind of wild. <laughs> and that's sort of the, the way most work happens. Everything's getting automated. So technology is having this profound effect on work across the board. But I think the more important trend that's actually happening is cultural. And what I mean by that is that increasingly in a world where technology enables people to be more effective and more impactful than they ever have been, it comes back to work is people doing things, right? And increasingly, the best people have more of an impact than they've ever had. And so what that means for companies is they need to figure out how to recruit, retain, and engage the very best people. That is the most important way to win in today's business environment. And if you ask the best people, what do you want? They want to work when they want, where they want, how they want, and then on things that they find inspiring, right? And that is the critical thing that's happening, I believe, in the workplace today, in the talent wars that are happening. And so the best people, by demanding to work when they want, where they want, and how they want, are getting that from employers who are fighting and and battling each other to attract those top people. And the way increasingly that these companies are doing it is they're offering different levels and different kinds of flexibility for those top performers. And what that's doing is it's causing the best companies to make a pretty critical decision. Either get on board with the flexible work style that the best people are demanding or lose out on top talent that will go to some other competitor that will eventually win against you because of the top talent they're able to recruit. And so what that's doing is it's taking this conversation around flexibility of all kinds and it's elevating it from what used to be the balls of the HR department and elevating it now into the boardrooms of companies across the world. And these companies over and over again are making this decision to embrace this kinds of flexibility in new and interesting ways to attract and retain the best people. And it's then percolating down into a company-wide policy or a process or procedure that's impacting more and more people. And it's become quickly something that is now not done only on the fringes, but become mainstream. So much so that now 52% of the U.S. working population now works at least part-time remotely. And part-time remote is defined by at least one day a month working out of the office. So what we're seeing is this way of working, this flexible, distributed, remote way of working is quickly becoming a mainstream thing. And I think as we look towards the future, it's only going to come more in demand by the top people and down. And more and more companies are going to utilize this as a way to recruit and retain them. And it's just going to become the way that we do work. 
Can you give some examples? I I know some pretty large companies have connected with you guys and actually offered the remote year opportunity to potential talent that they're trying to recruit as a benefit. Can you give some examples of of how that's gone for companies? Sure. So we've we've had people participate in our programs from a few hundred different companies, which is so cool to see. And you know, it's in some cases gone incredibly well, and in some cases, you know, there's been some issues. And I think most of the issues that have stemmed from this is that there's too many people that want to do it. <laughs> you know, sometimes a company will offer this to some of their top performers, and then a whole bunch of people want to join the experience, and the company then gets a little bit scared of what that reality could look like if they're not ready to make that full leap, and they have, you know, in some cases pulled back on it. But in most cases, what we see is people have gone in the programs, they've been successful doing their jobs, they've been getting promotions, they've been getting all kinds of great feedback. Um, and we've seen more and more people coming from a lot of those same companies. We've actually seen a much growing percentage of people on our programs coming from the companies that have already had people on the programs. Over the last few years, that number of people has been growing over time. So a lot of the companies have been successful. And in most cases, what, what we've been seeing is it comes from somebody who wants to come on the program. They work with the company to get that permission. Um, they blaze the path for that opportunity for more folks to come. And then we start to see more and more people from some of those companies start to, to join. I think another interesting thing as we talk about the future of work and how that works within companies, you know, once a company gets to a certain size, maybe maybe 100 people, they usually don't all work together in the same office. You know, they, they have two offices, they have some people be remote. And what that means is that, you know, the organization is therefore distributed. And that means that their base case, their expected form of communication is digital, right? If, you, if you're all not all in the same office, or even if you are in the same office and you're more than a few desks over, the way that you communicate is digital, right? You are on phone calls, you're on video chats, maybe you'll come together for some meetings, but you know, if you're not all collocated, that doesn't work in most cases. So companies increasingly are already distributed and they all are already communicating digitally. So migrating from that to being comfortable with people being remote full-time is actually from a tactical perspective, not that different. And you're seeing more and more companies start to understand that, even though they do have some vestiges of their culture and their management, their process that, that aren't comfortable with it, more and more companies are starting to get comfortable with it and, and be, be okay with people having the flexibility that they want and need. So is remote year as a company in terms of your you conceptualizing your sales and marketing strategies moving forward is it more of a b2b strategy where you're targeting companies and encouraging them to let their you know send their their employees to you or is it more of a bottom up b2c strategy where you're you know talking to the employees directly and trying to get them to convince their employer to let them go which which direction do you see more uh, trending as you move forward with your sales and marketing strategy yeah we we continue to see most of the interest excitement from employees who really want to do this and they then are armed with the tools that we've built and the team that we have to help them go and get that permission to do this we haven't really cracked the nut yet fully on how to get companies to really promote this as a perk to win the culture and talent war. We think that there are going to be, there are some right now, but I think as we look towards the future, this is going to become table stakes 
for companies to have as part of their people ops strategy. They're going to recruit with it, saying this is an opportunity. They're going to retain with it by saying people, once they've been around for XYZ amount of time and they've achieved a certain level of performance reviews, can have an opportunity like going on Remote Year or Remote Year specifically. And I think this is going to be an opportunity if they are retaining folks to really invest in, in, in making them the future leaders of their company because of all the professional growth that happens on our programs. But we have been working on that, but haven't you know fully cracked the nut on how to you know really build that into to companies who you know at a strategic level who can be you know promoting this to their workforce. We do believe long term that is the vision, but as we think about you know the next steps in the near term, we are pretty focused on you know where we are seeing lots of interesting excitement, which still continues to come from employees who want to do this. Awesome. All right, Greg, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. Awesome. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has influenced you over the years that you would most recommend to people? Oh, man, I love reading. And I think reading on the road with a Kindle is one of the best things ever. Uh, we actually had a shared Kindle account for our team until we got to like 100 people and they shut us off. Um, one of my one of my favorite books that I think about anthropology, I think about humans a lot and how they work and how they change is Sapiens, uh, an incredible book. Definitely uh, recommend reading that book and you should check it out. Awesome. What is one travel hack that you use that you would recommend to people? Travel is all about going into environments that are different and interesting. Um, whenever I travel, I like to figure out the things that for me are comfortable and nice. And so one thing that I do whenever I get to a new place, uh, especially when it's an Airbnb or somewhere that, or a remote your apartment or somewhere that has a kitchen, I like to go and get a dozen eggs. Because one of the things that makes me feel comfortable in the morning, wake up, fry up a couple eggs um, and eat those, get the day started on the right foot is a great travel hack for me to find some level of continuity and comfort wherever I go. The other thing that I love to do is I love to walk. I love to walk around cities um, and I try to spend as much time as I can outside, moving, being active and seeing different places. I try to walk 10 miles a day. Sometimes it's a challenge, sometimes it works, but it's a great way to see a city. It's a great way to get active um, and it's a great way to get acclimated to a new environment. Awesome. What is one stress reduction technique that you have? Yeah, I think it's going back to the same thing. I love, I love to spend a lot of time walking. Um, and whenever I travel, I spend time walking in whatever I'm, uh, I'm based in Mexico City these days. I like to walk around Mexico City as much as I can as well. It relieves stress. It gets you active. It gets you moving. Um, gets your heart rate going. I would highly recommend people spend more time walking than they do. I don't know what the science is, but I'm sure more will come out about the benefits of spending a lot of time walking. Awesome. Last two questions, Greg. What are your top three travel destinations, favorite places you've ever been of all time that you'd recommend? Oh man, top three is so challenging. I think, you know, anywhere you go, there is so much unique, rich local culture. And we are in this amazing time where you have accessibility to getting into that and experiencing it authentically in these unbelievable opportunities. I can't say that there's any three that are more special than others, but I would say in terms of recently, I have been spending a lot of time in Mexico City, unbelievable food, unbelievable culture. I spent a lot of time in Lisbon. Portuguese culture is amazing. They have great seafood, great wine, great people. That's another unbelievable place to check out. Another one that I was a few weeks ago in Lima, Peru. If you haven't had ceviche in Lima, you got to get there. You got to try it. 
Peruvian culture is incredible. Um, there's so many cool activities, hiking the Inca Trail, uh, an unbelievable place to be. Awesome, man. Last question. What are your top three bucket list destinations that you've never been to that you most want to go? Oh, man. Bucket list destinations. Well, you're in Russia right now. I, I have never been to Russia. I don't know that it's a bucket list destination, but somewhere that I've been interested to check out because of some of the cultural differences. I'm, I'm hopeful that I have the opportunity to go there at some point. I haven't yet. I looked into it at one point and I think there was some visa stuff. So Russia would be very, very cool that I haven't been to. I spent a lot of time across Asia, but I, I haven't been to some of the larger cities that I think sound really cool and would love to, to check out. And, you know, I'm, I'm not such a big adventure person, but I, I think going to Antarctica would be just unbelievable at some point in my life if I have the opportunity. I love it, man. All right, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to let you know how people can get a hold of you if they want to follow you on social media, if they want to learn more about Remote Year. And I understand for the Maverick Show listeners that we've got a link for them where if they are interested in doing the program, they can actually get a $200 discount on the program if they go through that link. So we're going to put that up in the show notes. But beyond that, if they want to learn more about Remote Year or follow you on social media, how do they uh, connect with you? That's awesome. You know, if you want to connect with me, you could just email me directly, greg at remoteyear.com. I love getting emails. I love meeting people. Feel free to reach out directly if you want to follow me. I don't post that much on Instagram, but I do like to tweet. I tweet mostly about the future of work, remote work, and travel. And I'm at GD Kaplan, G-D-C-A-P-L-A-N. Look forward to connecting with you over email or on Twitter. Awesome, Greg. Thanks so much for being here, my man. This is a blast. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks, buddy. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.